this morning about the Christian Booksellers Association and uh, some of the nonsense that goes on there. And there are certain things that will happen you'll just never forget. And one of these was last year. I think it was in Orlando. And uh, we have our booth set up there. We don't much refer to the Puritans because for the broad evangelical community uh, that has connotations other than what we want it to have. So we just refer to them as Christian classics. And uh, one lady came in the second day and she was just kind of perusing and browsing there. And then she got very excited and she came to me. She said, this is wonderful. I can't tell you how excited I am to see these kinds of books. My pastor loves these books. He loves the classics. And she pointed to our book by John Bunyan, uh, The Fear of God. And she said, he reads Bunyan all the time. Oh, I can't wait to show him the book list. And so I said, well, here, take a copy of it and give it to your pastor with my compliments. And here is a book that we did on preaching called Feed My Sheep. And perhaps it will help him in his preaching. And she says, well, I don't really think his preaching needs much help. You may have heard of my pastor, Benny Hinn. <laughs> and I said, well, I've been to his restaurant, Benny Hanna's. <laughs> but, you know, it's one of those things where because of propriety and decorum, you can't, you know, you got to laugh. I couldn't laugh, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was thinking all the smart alley things I wanted to say, like, oh, you mean he reads Paul Bunyan? Or, or he's got two Bunyans or something like that. But it hadn't affected his preaching much, had it? You may not know this, but right up the street from R.C. Sproul's church, uh, north of Orlando, uh, Benny's brother Sam has a church. And so they're starting a chain. Well, one of the enjoyable things for me this week has just been watching the children and hearing them sing and watching them sit in the meetings and enjoy the week. And there are some wonderful young people here and some very, very sweet children. But I hope I don't need to tell you that being well-behaved ought not necessarily to be equated with being regenerate. Mormons have very well-behaved children. But that doesn't mean anything necessarily. I know I've talked a lot about my daughter, and the next time I'll talk to her, she'll want to know which stories about her I told. One of my favorites is when she was about two and a half to three years old, we were visiting some friends, and Michelle had been taught that it was okay for her not to be the center of attention all the time. And so there were the four adults visiting, and then Michelle playing in the middle of the room quietly, and after about 45 minutes of this, the lady of the house just couldn't take it anymore. And she stopped the conversation and said to Michelle, Michelle, you are such a sweet little girl and you're so well behaved. I'll bet you just love Jesus so much. And Michelle stopped her playing and looked up at her and she says, oh, not yet. <laughs> so she knew that civility was not to be equated with Christianity I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes in the 11th chapter. We will look at that passage in Kings in a few moments. But I want us to take our thoughts here to the words of the wise man. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 9, 
and we will read through chapter 12 and verse 1. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, all these, God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. This is the counsel of the wise man to young people. And I find it interesting that he does not deny reality, he does not deny the inherent inclinations in children and young people to want to have fun. Notice his words, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. But then there is a warning that follows that almost negates what he has said, or at least calls for a good bit of sobriety in life. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these God will bring you into judgment. It's as if he is saying, go ahead, enjoy your youth, have fun, be happy. Just remember this, God will judge you for everything that you do. So here we have the wise man talking to children and young people, to youth. The word literally means those in their childhood. Typically, a person wasn't thought of as being a young man until he was 12 or older. So what we have here is the wise man addressing those whom we would call children in their adolescence or in their childhood. And that's why I've called this message the sins of children. Children, let me speak to you. You were born sinners. From the moment that you were conceived, you have been a sinner. And what sinners do is they sin. That's what sinners do because it is consistent with their nature. You sin because you're sinners. Since that is what you are, that is what you do. And you manifest this sinful nature in a variety of ways. You don't like to think of yourself as little sinners, and your grandparents even less like to think of you as little sinners. And they will be very angry with me for calling you little sinners. My own mother, when I referred to my daughter as a little black-hearted viper, didn't speak to me for three months until she asked Michelle if she thought that's what she was. And she says, oh, I'm a terrible sinner, Grandma. I said, I think you need to trust the source more than you need to trust your sentimentality, Mom. Could anything be more obvious or more apparent of the sinful nature of children? One of the ways that you manifest... Your sinfulness is in your unwillingness to remain quiet in the worship of God. Now, it could be that many of you have been trained to do otherwise, and if so, thank your parents and thank God for that. If you want to see the sinful nature of children at large, just go to a supermarket and see moms trying to handle those little Tasmanian devils in the aisles. But young people act up in church and distract others. And I think it's interesting how prone we are to write that off to some psychological orientation rather than look at it 
as a significant thing in spiritual ways. You manifest your sinfulness by the way you provoke your brothers and sisters. Mom, Tommy's touching me. Dad, make Susie quit looking at me. And then Dad says, you two better cut it out back there. Don't make me come back there. I always remember my dad saying that when he was driving. I didn't want him to come back there when he was driving. I was always saying, who would drive the car if he came back here? So I behaved to save my own skin. And then as soon as Dad turns away, he touched me again. I did not. And just simply by provoking one another, you manifest your sinfulness by your disobedience to your parents. And by the way you treat your parents. I'm not talking about how you treat them when you're in their presence. I'm talking about how you talk about them when you're out of their presence. And you know this, that if the biblical command is to honor your mother and your father, that if you're not doing that, that means you're disobeying God on a regular basis. And they who practice these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, children and young people, there are three arenas that God has placed you in. The first one is your home. The second one is your church. And the third one is your school, unless you're being homeschooled, and then your home and your school are the same thing. And God calls you to be accountable to Him for each one of those arenas. So if you are a child or a young person, and you think that you are a Christian person, and you're not honoring your mother and your father at home as an ongoing lifestyle. I don't mean that you never sin towards them, but that your sins are intermittent, that your sins are occasional, while your honoring of them is ongoing and ever-increasing. If you're not showing God reverence in His house, if you're not studying to the best of your ability at school, on what basis do you think indeed that you are a Christian? I mean, one of the commands is that we are to love God with all of our mind. I've sat through testimony time after testimony time where people get up and say, I just want you to know that I love Jesus with all my heart. Well, that's very nice and sentimental. It couldn't possibly be true, or that would be a perfect person. But I have yet to ever see anybody stand up and say, I want you to know I love Jesus with all my mind. But you see, if you're a student in school, you are called to study to the best of your abilities as evidence of your alleged conversion. And you can't look to being baptized as an infant. Various churches have various teachings on this. Rome teaches that if you've been baptized, you've been saved by your baptism. Some people believe that you're not saved by your baptism, but you're saved when you're baptized. But if that were the case, if all those people were regenerate, we should be seeing much holier children in our churches. We should be seeing children who are much more honoring to their parents. We should be seeing children who are more respectful in the worship of God. And we should be seeing children who are more sober-minded and heavenly-minded and not so earthly-minded. I mean, how do we reconcile a supposedly saved, baptized child 
who was rebellious to their parents, irreverent towards holy things, and sloughing off in school. What is the evidence of regeneration in that person? And as Jesus said, bring forth fruits befitting repentance. The evidence isn't in your baptism. The Scripture never says, by this we know that we have come to know Him if we were baptized as an infant. The Scripture says, by this we know that we have come to know Him if we are keeping His commands. And those are the commands that you young people have to honor your mother and your father, to remember your Creator in the days of your youth, and to love God with all of your mind. Children manifest their sinfulness by their irreverence towards holy things. When I was a Baptist, years and years ago, I remember sitting in a church during a communion sermon service, and there were some children in the front row, and as the dish was passed, one of them grabbed a handful of the crackers, pitched them in the air. Now, the fact that some of you find that amusing is evidence of what I'm saying. You find amusement in holy things being desecrated. And that was the cause of the death of some young people in that Old Testament story in Second Kings. Let me just read you these two verses. It's talking about the prophet Elisha. Then he went up from there to Bethel, and as he was going up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him. Now this is one of God's prophets. They said, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. And that is a sin against one of God's messengers to which I'm becoming extremely sensitive with each passing day. So the prophet turned around and he looked at the young people and he pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord and two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. Bears killed them because the prophet pronounced a curse on them because they made fun of him. Children are making fun of God's messengers all the time these days. Just be glad you don't live near the woods, I guess. But how's that for a fine example of Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world? People today would be aghast at such a thing. Sometimes we hear people talk about, regarding children, the age of accountability. But that suggests that there's an age of no accountability. When do sins don't count? Everyone is accountable to God for their actions. And there are numerous stories in the Old Testament where God tells His people to go into a city and kill every man, woman, and child because of the wickedness of the city. Nowhere are children spared just because they're children. And here in our text in Ecclesiastes, we're told that God will hold you accountable for your frivolity. He says, go ahead and rejoice in your youth, but remember this, God will bring you to judgment for it. Well, what kinds of things will God judge children and young people for? Well, let me just suggest a few to you. One is, we're told in the New Testament that every idle word will be brought into judgment. What's an idle word? Literally, it's a meaningless word, a word that has no value. It's a useless word. It's a worthless word. How about this? Like. I was at a church in uh, Indiana 
where they asked one of the senior girls who had just graduated to give, give her testimony. And afterwards, I said, I'm not sure I can preach. I just listened to a ten-minute talk, and not once did I hear the word like. Well, it's like this. He was like this, and so I was like that. And she went like this, and I went like that. And so he went, ah, 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 ah. And He was like this, and I was like that. And he was so rad, and it was, ah. Is there a word in there that has any meaning whatsoever? But the Scripture is very clear. God will bring every idle word into judgment. Could anyone be more guilty of using meaningless, idle words than youth these days? And contrast that with David's prayer that the words of his mouth and the meditations of his heart would be acceptable in the sight of God. Now let me just take it a step farther. If idle words will be brought into judgment, how about cruel words? My daughter goes to a Christian school and I can't believe the things she tells me that people say to one another. And it's a reformed Christian school. I was going to say a reformed school, but that has a whole different connotation. How about cruel words? How about hurtful names? Like this. Loser. With Paul's admonition that we're not to use any words or let any words come out of our mouth, but such as are good for edification. You think God doesn't judge these things? He says, for all of these God will bring you into judgment. But David realized that everything he said and everything he thought had eternal significance. Now, if idle words will be brought into judgment, how about idle deeds? How about wasting time doing things of no eternal value? How much time do you waste when you could be doing something good for your souls, for the souls of your friends, or for the kingdom of God? You will be judged for wasted time if you do not repent. I think another way that young people evidence the sinfulness of their hearts is because they will not sin alone. It's always needing to draw somebody else into it with them. Because sin wants partners. Come on, let's go down there and break into the school and get some free drinks. Or whatever it is. How many sins are you guilty of for your idle words, your worthless speech, and your wasted time? And you evidence your contrariness to the things of God and your hatred for your own soul by not doing what you could for the good of your own soul. I've talked with your parents much this week about how that faith comes by hearing and yet how hard it is to find a young person or a child who will listen to the Word preached during the sermon, if they're in the sermon. The younger they are, the more this is probably typical of them, but you'll color, you'll read, you'll play tic-tac-toe, you'll sleep, you'll kick somebody else, you'll do everything you can to get away with something, except the one thing that may do your soul some good, and that is listen to the sermon. If you value your own souls... Listen when the minister is preaching. That is God's appointed means for your salvation. In fact, I have come to believe that the sins of children and the sins of young people are more offensive to God 
than your later sins will be. Let me explain to you why I think that. One, because when you are young, you are at least relatively innocent. And what I mean by that is this, you're not as hardened in sin as you will be later in life. Every act of sin that we commit hardens the heart against God. And you just haven't lived long enough to commit that many where your hearts will be as hard as some of the adults in the world that we try to evangelize. Their hearts are rock hard against God because they've sinned so many sins. But you're not at that place yet. Secondly, when you're young, your minds aren't so filled with error as they will be when you learn wrong things and wrong teachings. Third, when you're young, you don't have as many sins that have taught you how pleasurable sin can be as you will later in life. In other words, you haven't become full-time professional sinners yet. And when you're young, you're more open to the gospel than you may be later in life because your heart is more pliable. You have the tender influences of your parents. And those are more significant than later because when you get older, you'll start to realize that your parents don't know anything and you don't need to listen to them. At least that's what you'll conclude. And then you'll get older and have children one day and you'll realize your parents weren't that stupid and you'll realize that children are God's way of getting even with you for how you treated your parents. When you're young, your friends haven't had as much time to influence you against God and against Christianity. You haven't been exposed to false teachings by being in public schools, some of you, or false religions by going to a, a secular college where people come in with all kinds of different ideas about religion. And since we are commanded, each and every one of us, to give God all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength, you have more to give Him now than you will later. Just in the same way in dating relationships, you know, we grow up, we have a boyfriend here, a girlfriend here, we go steady here, then they go off to camp and they meet somebody else, you go off to college and you meet somebody. And now all these people, you give away a piece of your heart. And then by the time you find the one that God has for you, you don't have that much left to give them that's original. In the same way, the more you give your heart to the things of the world and the things of the devil, the less of your heart you have to give to God who has a right to all of it from the moment that you're born. So you see, right now, every one of you who goes under the name of child, infant, adolescent, or young person, teenager, are in the best possible position to do what God says children ought to do, set your hearts to seek the Lord. That is the wise man's answer to the child's dilemma. He says, put away evil from your flesh. Childhood and youth are vanity. The Scripture says that there is evil in a young person's heart, and you must put it away. How do you do that? Remember your Creator now. In other words, you must seek your salvation while you are young. You must examine your life now and ask yourself these questions. These would be good questions for self-examination. And self-examination is a good thing, whether you're a covenant child or not. Paul wrote to Christians when he said, examine yourselves. It's in the ongoing tense. Always be examining yourselves to see if you're in the faith. And so here are the questions you can ask for self-examination. Am I honoring my mother and father as God commands? Am I obeying them? 
Secondly, do I love my brothers and sisters as myself, assuming you have brothers and sisters? Am I studying hard so as to love God with my mind? When I'm in God's house, am I showing Him respect? Do I pay attention during the sermon and see what God has for me there, even if I do think it's boring? Do I take the things of God seriously? If your answer to any of these questions is no, you really need to ask yourself, and you have good reason to doubt if you are a child of God. And if you're not a child of God, there's only one other option. You're a child of the devil, and that makes you God's enemy. And you cannot, you dare not hope, that you will escape hell simply because you were baptized as an infant. And you can't trust that because your parents are Christians and because they pray for you that you'll escape the judgment of God. There are many people who don't seem to understand that the sins of their youth, if they remain impenitent, will go with them to the grave. In Job 20, verse 11, it says, His bones are full of the sins of his youth, which shall lie down with him in the dust. Those sins aren't excused because of your youthfulness. Those sins aren't overlooked for any reason, unless they're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. But if God changes the heart, He changes the life as well. And you cannot trust that you'll necessarily have one more year or one more month, or one more day to live apart from Christ. You just don't know that. But you do know this, that if you will confess your sins and forsake them, you will find mercy with God. Don't sin away your youth. Every sin makes your heart that much harder. It makes it that much tougher for the truth of the Gospel to get through. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him before it's too late. And don't give God nothing more than the devil's leftovers. That is God's great controversy with His people. You give Satan your strength and your youth, and you give me your old bones and your leftovers. Doesn't God deserve more than that from us? Spend your life seeking your salvation, or if you are saved, laying up treasures in heaven. And if it's pleasure you seek, remember that the Scripture says that at God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. Make those the pleasures that you seek. Say, well, what can I do? Well, one, if you're not in Christ, you can go to God and ask Him for a new heart. You may not be able to go, God, to go to God with a clean heart, but you can go to God and ask Him for one. And that's a prayer each and every one of you can say. You can ask Him for the gifts of repentance and faith. You can ask Him to make you pleasing in His sight. And you can ask Him to help you use the means that He has given you to seek your own salvation. To hear the Word when it is preached to read the Word for yourself, to have times of family worship with mom and dad, and to pray for a new heart. You can do all of those things even if you're out of Christ. But if you don't do any of those things, you're going to be guilty of murdering your own soul. Rather than fight against God, 
Why wouldn't you cooperate with him in seeking your own salvation? Enjoy your youth. But remember that God will bring everything into judgment. And that though this is a time of relative ease and relative carelessness, nothing is escaping the watching eye of God. We used to sing when I was a kid, Oh, be careful little eyes what you see, and be careful little hands what you do, and be careful little feet where you go. Why? Because God is watching you all the time. And the sins that you're guilty of now may not look like much compared to the things you see on television or compared to the things that so-and-so does. I'm I'm not as bad as this person, but that's never the question. Are you as bad as that person? Are you as good as God asks you to be if you're one of His? That gives evidence that you are a saved person if you think you are or that shows you that you're not if you're not. The sins of youth are serious because all sin is serious. There's no such thing as a little sin because there's no such thing as a slightly holy God. You need to take your own souls seriously. And I pray that you do. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the covenant, the promises of blessings, We thank you for all the temporal benefits as well as possible eternal benefits of having covenant children. And yet we know that faith and repentance are required for salvation. We ask that these young people will seek their own salvation and use the means that you have given them. May they and their parents work diligently at examining their hearts looking for the evidences of regeneration. And may all these together this week at family camp be together in glory as a family because they have sought the Lord while He may be found and they have remembered their Creator in the days of their youth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.